0: Hello. Morning. Morning, Jack. Before I start my introductions, I think it's apparent that the Spirit is here with us. My preach today is very much about this meeting in the Spirit and enjoying God's presence. And that that worship session, That I think that was just so apparent. I don't know about you, but when I feel the Spirit close to me, I feel her uh, sort of heaviness in my chest a pressure, and I'm feeling that very much at the moment. So uh, I don't want us to sort of lose this place, I don't want us to sort of say, all right, here's the preach, let's uh, let's just drop what's happened. I want us to really grasp what the, the Spirit is saying to us today, and I will just pray, Lord, I pray that, thank you that your presence is here with us now, Lord, I pray that, through worship, through the preaching, as we leave this place, your spirit would would go with us, Lord. That, that heavy presence would rest on our hearts. Lord, that you would convict us, that you would lead us into what you want to say to us now. Lord, you'd lead us into a new place, uh, a, new, a new season as a church where your spirit is, is strong and powerful. Heavenly Father, be with us now. So, yeah, so good morning. My name is, is James, for anyone who doesn't know me. Uh, married to Becky and three kids. You might have seen them at the front uh, just now. And today we are concluding our series on this part of John's Gospel that we've been looking at over the autumn. And uh, we'll be, from now on, we'll be in, doing the run-up to Christmas because it is the first Sunday of Advent, which is fantastic, and it's great to see the, the decorations. I feel like Christmas has very quickly fast-forwarded for me. Um, just in the last few days I had a work Christmas party on Friday, we had a community group Christmas social yesterday, it's been snowing, decorations are going up, so suddenly it's like within the space of three days it's like vroom, like Christmas is here. Um, so I'm feeling very festive which is great, which uh, yeah, it's a wonderful thing. I, I don't often like Christmas to start too early because you sometimes get, you can peak too soon, but yeah, it's, it's nice, I think like yes, the next four weeks is going to be really good. And as we're drawing a close to this, series, I want to type a few themes that we've had over the autumn, which I've picked out. So we've studied the first five chapters of John. Last month, we had our annual staycation, which I think God spoke to us a lot. We had uh, Ross and Andy from City Church Newcastle come to leaders and teachers. And there's been several big themes, I think, that have come out over the last few months. There's been themes about having God's perspective on things, having those sort of mountaintop perspective moments. Uh, we've had th- things about being sent, you know, the church leaving the building actively, like, get out of the building. That was something that uh, Ross brought a picture from, from for us at the staycation. we gather here on a Sunday, but actually we take the gospel, we take the good news with us wherever we go. Having the Holy Spirit within us. That's something that we've been looking at in community groups in our recent series, The Everyday Supernatural. Another thing about delighting in God's presence and Jesus being captivating to all people from all walks of life. And that is something that's really touched and convicted my heart lately. It's like, am I really passionate about God when I meet with him, when I worship with him? Do I really rejoice, like truly rejoice, not just sing, do I rejoice in worship? Am I practicing the spiritual gifts God has given me? And like I said earlier, my prayer for this church is that we would be excited by God that we'd be hungry for his presence, that would be active in our faith and release the gifts God has given us. Though all these things we do at church on a regular basis, we don't do them out of a sense of obligation or uh, feeling like we need to or, or feeling guilt, but actually we do it because we are so drawn to God and his presence that so we just can't stay away. And we share the good news because it just simply overflows out of us. We just can't help it. With today's passage, uh, Ian Galloway a few weeks ago in his preach, he said, uh, the do- Gospel of John was written to us that we may know Jesus now. This isn't just a really popular history book that we read over and over again in our church life because we really love history. No, it's, it's, it's a book that tells us about what God has done in the past and what he continues to do now in our lives today. It's like an old love letter between a, an old married couple you Remember what happened in the past. You remember the love, but that is still ongoing today and the hope for the future. And actually that, that theme of mountaintop moments, I've just got, got a slide. So this, I, I often, every time I go to the later districts, I normally climb a different fell and I normally take a few pictures at the fell. So this is the top of the old man of Coniston looking over Windermere. And I find, I find going up to, uh, fell walking, going up to the top of a mountain is a profoundly spiritual experience for me. I do find that, that God's presence is like, wow, God, look at this. Look at that picture. God, you are fantastic. This is your creation. Like, you feel, I feel so insignificant when I'm at top of a, fa- a fell like that, and, but in a fantastic way. It's like, God, you are so big. We changed the microscope to the telescope. That's, that's one of the things that came out in the, in the prayer course. It's, it's easy to feel God in those times. But then if we go to the next slide. That's another fell, and it's covered in cloud, which inevitably they often are. So this is a bit more tricky. It's like, oh, God, like, I know the view is there. It's somewhere in that white cloud, but I just can't see it. Like, God, where are you? God, where, where are you breaking in? Where's your presence? And it does happen like that often, doesn't it? We The clouds come, but the clouds go as well. And We, we see God's presence, we're like, wow, a new outpouring of the Spirit, a new, a new season where God is active. But then also we go through lean times, where it's like, oh, God, where are you? Like, God, break into the situation, please. Like, I'm praying so, so wholeheartedly, where, where is your presence? And that's, that's an exercise of faith, isn't it? So with that in mind, I hope and pray that God's word speaks to us this morning. So we're going to, we're going to read the, the passage now. So it says, in John 5, it says, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, is a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, and having known that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me get into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured, and he picked up his mat and walked. On the day which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, the Lord forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick up your mat and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd. Um, Sorry, I lost my place. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. Like many of Jesus' miracles, we see Jesus acting in one time, performing one act in one place, but actually which means an awful lot more. He's fulfilling prophecies and predictions from the past with huge repercussions which are carried on even to today and we feel are the effects of. So let's unpick this a little bit further. So the setting is Jerusalem during one of the three big Jewish festivals of the year. Jesus, who especially in his early ministry tended to stay around Galilee in the north, he travelled to Israel, uh, sorry, Jerusalem for the festival, as was Jewish tradition. Now, Jesus didn't usually go to Jerusalem in this early stage of his ministry because he didn't want to draw too much attention to himself and to get the priests and powers that be all riled up. This festival could have been Passover, when the Jews celebrated uh, their coming out of Egypt and the parting of the Red Sea. Which, which, whichever one of these three festivals it was, it would have been a bit like our Christmas holidays, a big time of Getting together, family, rejoicing, celebrating, eating lots of food. And the pool of Bethesda was a well-known place of healing. It was in Jerusalem itself, just to the north of the temple. And uh, the original site has been excavated. You can go see it for yourself. And I think I've got a little picture there. So that's, that's what it looks like now. And that's a sort of artist's impression of what it would have looked like. And apparently at one stage, it was even dedicated to the, the Greek healing god, Asclepius. And interestingly, Bethesda actually means house of mercy. And the way it works seems like this. The waters in the pool would occasionally bubble up. And when that happened, the first person to jump into the pool would be healed. Some people reckon that the bubbling up of the water was caused by an angel. And uh, some of the later biblical texts do say an angel came and stood at the waters. Um, but some of the early ones don't mention this, which is why it wasn't mentioned in that passage. Whether it was an angel or perhaps a spring came up through some particularly fertile ground that was rich in minerals and had this healing quality, we don't know. Whatever the reason for this healing cause, it was not very effective. It was a poor imitation of the true healing that Jesus brings. And it was no accident that Jesus happened to be in that place where the sick and the crippled were. Jesus deliberately goes out and finds those in pain. And I love this. Mark 2 says... Uh, Jesus said to me, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come for the righteous, but for sinners. Thank you, God. We all need that. And we read that this man Jesus found had been crippled for 38 years. We don't know if he was born this way. Perhaps something happened to him later in life. Perhaps he was an accident. Perhaps he got wounded in a battle or something. But Jesus finds him lying there around the colonnades of this pool. And as Paul was known for its healing powers, perhaps he had spent the entirety of those 38 years in this place, waiting and waiting and waiting. But it's clear he can't, he can't move, he can't use his legs. And remember, this is first century Palestine, a provincial province of the Roman Empire. Life would have been incredibly difficult for this person and many others like him. Not able to work, you know, no welfare system, no disabled provision. This man must have relied on begging for food to live, literally crawling around as best he could. And there's a huge reminder, isn't there, to be thankful for the little things, our health for one. That is one blessing we can always be thankful for. The passage says, On occasions when the water was stirred, those waiting around the pool would scramble in to get first, while this man was left behind, can't move, having to watch others come and go, and remaining hopeless. You know, I can't imagine what this man must have gone through, but Jesus comes and Jesus reveals himself, and I want to pick out a few things that Jesus shows us about himself. So firstly, we see Jesus' knowledge. Jesus knew this man's situation without having to be told. Jesus knew the pain of those thirty-eight years. Similar to how he knew the backstory of the, the woman at the well that we looked at in recent weeks, and about her past and her husbands, etc. Or he knew that the official son in the previous chapter of John would get well. And if you know Jesus, this is the kind of relationship that we receive, a person who knows us perfectly and intimately. Jesus knows everything about you, inside and out, everything you've felt or done or thought. And although that can be a little bit scary if you dwell on it too much, uh, it's also deeply comforting. There's nothing hidden from God. There's nothing we can hide away. He accepts us as we are with all our failings. And he died for us knowing that we would never be able to repay him. But he did it anyway, out of love. And the more we experience his presence, the more we are captivated by him. And I've certainly felt that in my life, times when I've actively carved out time to invest in God, time to uh, read the Bible in in my busy schedule, time to meet with others and and pray, or times in life group. You know, in those times, my faith increases. I am more bold and courageous for God. And if you haven't ever read the Bible from start to finish, I would really recommend it. There's lots of plans you can do it in a year. So perhaps that could be a a New Year's resolution if you've never done it or want to do it again. You know, times when I read lots of Scripture are times when my faith increases, when God speaks to me most. And generally, God does speak to us most through his word. So it's no surprise we hear it most when we read the Bible. Secondly, we see Jesus' compassion. This is one of the other things that make Jesus' knowledge even more precious. Jesus Jesus chooses to go to the pool. He didn't have to. He didn't just wander by. He didn't stumble across it. He knew what he was doing. He was going to the pool in the same way that he went to Samaria to find that woman at the well. Jesus moves towards those in need, not comfort. Towards broken-hearted sinners, not the self-righteous. And again, (laughs) thank you, God. We need that so much. And I find Jesus' question to him very interesting. Do you want to get healed? Do you want to get better or just carry on like you have the previous 38 years? Well, what's his response? He doesn't actually act like many other people in the stories of Jesus' miracles. He doesn't say, Lord, you are the Son of God. I believe. He doesn't say, Lord, you just say the word and I'll be healed. He doesn't even say, yeah, I'd love to be healed. Thank you. That'd be great. What does he say? He gives an explanation of his tragic situation. He says, Sir, I have no one to help me into the pool when the waters are stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. He's sort of saying, oh, Jesus, well he doesn't even notice Jesus, he says, Sir, whoever you are, there's no use. I've been here 38 years, no one can heal me, no one can help me. There's nothing you to do, I'm sorry, unless you can whisk me down to the waters the moment's stirred. And this whole scene with its mysterious healing qualities and its pagan associations, it was a poor imitation of what Jesus came to bring. This place promised the possibility of miraculous healing. The remote chance of that happening, enough to warrant potentially 38 years spent waiting. But at best it was clutching at straws, and at worst it was a a place to spend a wasted life. But then along comes Jesus, along comes the one John the Baptist has been telling us about, the one who is the true Son of God. And in an instant, he does what the Paul stood for, but was powerless to do. A word is all it takes. 38 years condensed down into about three seconds. Jesus commands the man to pick up his mat and walk. We aren't even told if the man believed, but he obeyed nevertheless, and his whole world was changed forever. It looks like this healing was not even a response to anything religious or anything the man had done or anything faithful about him. You know, this man doesn't even know this is Jesus. He's just thinking, who's this fellow that's come up to me? It's simply because Jesus had compassion on this man and knew his situation and how miserable he was. And I love this question, do you want to be healed? Do you? Uh, We've had a, a bit of a tricky sort of or six weeks, about five or six weeks ago, uh, Becky did her back in quite badly. Um, she'd been suffering on and off for a while, but this time it totally went, and she was laid upon her back for a couple of weeks and un- unable to really move. I think it was a suspected slip disc. Um, and, you know, it's, it, it was difficult, and I was, I was worried, like, oh, my gosh, how are we going to look after the kids? Who's going to take the kids to school? How are we going to fit work? How are we going to fit cooking and cleaning and all this kind of stuff? Um, and I've got to say that, The the outcome from the church, the the church has supported us so much, and we are so incredibly blessed by that. And we can't thank thank those people enough who rallied round us. I felt very, very blessed. Um, But when you are in that time where, oh my gosh, I've I've got I've got nothing, I I can't even help myself. I've got nothing to give. My body is totally broken. Those times are hard, and it's so easy to understand why people get so focused and lose their focus on God. It's really difficult. But but, Jesus, but like this man, Jesus did come. And, you know, we I'm certainly not comparing our situation to this this man or anyone else's situation because, you know, Becky is much better, and, but she's still in a bit of pain, but she's getting better, thank, thank God. But um, often we don't realize in those moments what, what is right in front of us, what God is providing, the, the support around us. But yeah, I do live with this question, do you want to be healed? God doesn't force himself upon us. He reveals himself, he speaks to us, we see his glory and beautiful creation in mountain ranges and sunsets, he gives us his word, the Bible, and he sent our only son, his only son to die in our place. But One thing he never does, he never forces himself upon us. And like this man, your world can be changed forever, in a moment, just by encountering Jesus for the first time. Perhaps you haven't encountered him for a long time. Again, your life can be completely changed in a moment. And hopefully that, that is why we're here. That is, that is the opportunity available to us this morning. And there's at least nine times in the Gospels where Jesus was moved by compassion or pity. So not only does Jesus know us perfectly, but he's easily moved by our difficulties and our pain. He doesn't always heal us quite the way we want but we find peace and comfort in his presence. And he's more interested in our souls and our hearts. That is the ultimate priority. But he is compassionate to us in our misery. He's a sympathetic saviour for those who trust in him. Thank you, God. And Thirdly, we see Jesus' power. So we know his knowledge is complete. We know his compassion towards us is Great. And now we know, his, we know his power is immediate and sovereign. Jesus said to this man, Get up, take your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. And those words, at once, show the, the immediate impact uh, of Jesus' power. When he speaks, you know, the, the laws of nature obey. He can, he can walk on water, he can calm storms, he makes broken bodies well again. They, they obey at once, And this is the power that God, you know, the God we love and the God we trust, that's the power that he has. Let's not forget that. John is showing us again in his gospel the sovereign power of Jesus in the same way he did when, uh, in the last chapter we looked at, uh, the official son was healed the, 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 the moment Jesus said he would be, even though Jesus was many miles away. And it's not just physical healing, but spiritual healing as well you know us in the ch- church here today do we want to be healed do we want our broken hearts made whole do you want to lay down your baggage your stress your anxieties at the cross and let Jesus restore you do you want to receive eternal salvation for your soul and live in God's presence for eternity yes absolutely yes please Lord yes thank you that'd be fantastic and it's a free gift of grace but sadly for many the answer is no You yeah, know, no thank you I'm I'm, I'm not interested. And that's heartbreaking for us, for those that have all received God's presence and God's grace and God's love. It's heartbreaking when we see people we're close to uh, just say, no, thank you, it's just, it's just not for me, it's not appealing. You know, there's a huge call to action there for us, isn't there? A call to action, but also a reminder that we aren't the solution. No eloquent words or persuasive arguments that we can give are ultimately going to lead Jesus to God. Sorry, lead people to Jesus. Um, We can point to him, we can raise conversations, we can bless people through generosity and all these good things that we do in the church, but ultimately the only way for people to come to know and love our Lord is through the Holy Spirit convicting them, convicting their hearts. And the Holy Spirit, we do ask that you would convict both our hearts and the hearts of the people on our minds right now. And if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus today, I pray that the Holy Spirit would convict you before you leave this place this morning. Jesus also pointed this, to his sort of greater mission in this, of what he came to do. When Jesus says, get up, the word used is one regularly used in the New Testament to describe the resurrection. It's the same word used uh, when Jesus raises other people back to life. Like in Mark 5, where Jesus raises uh, the daughter of a man called Jairus. Um, here we go, it says, while, the, while Jesus was speaking, some people came to him in the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Over here, they said Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. Jesus took her by the hand and said to a little girl, I say to you, get up. It's that same word again, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old, and at this, her family were completely astonished. Do you see the similarities in the story? Jesus had knowledge we don't possess. Jesus had great compassion on this girl and her family. And Jesus' power took immediate effect. This is the true meaning of why Jesus came. He isn't trying to right something that's gone wrong or heal something that's been broken. He's bringing in a new age, a new life, a new creation. It bursts through into the present world bringing healing and new possibilities. The old creation realises it's that poor imitation again. This is not, as, this is not as what it was intended. There's something better in store. And no wonder people found it disturbing. No wonder they even found it threatening and fearful, so much that they rigged a fake trial and crucified an innocent man. And if I can quote Ian Galloway once more, (laughs) Um, I remember a story he's told many years ago, but he's talked about the power of God coming. And he said he lives in Newcastle by the sea, so he can stand at the beach and he can see the tide coming in and there's nothing you can do to stop it. And if if you don't, you know, before long, you're going to get the waves crashing over you. And it's like that with God's presence. Like, okay, sometimes it can feel distant. It's like, where, where is God's presence? Like, I'm searching for it. But the tide comes in. And I feel like we we are in that moment now, I feel like the tide is coming in, you know, we as a church, the waves, you know, the waves are coming, the waves are crashing, and I really pray that we would just be drenched in God's presence, we'd see an outpouring of his spirit, we'd see an outpouring of his gifts among us. We can receive this new life that Jesus repeatedly mentions. You know, how do we do it? Well, Romans 10 simply says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And lastly, we see Jesus' glory. As we often see, the Pharisees don't accept Jesus. They criticize him. They pick holes in what he's doing because they're angry, they're jealous, they don't agree. This time it was all about their petty customs and what should and shouldn't be done on a Sabbath, a day of rest. This man's carrying his mat. How dare he? The rules that we've created forbid this. But John keeps the focus on Jesus' glory. Jesus knows what he's doing. He healed a man on the Sabbath and told him to carry his mat as a sign and a celebration. He knows this will create conflict, but he doesn't let that stop him. In fact, almost everything Jesus did drew criticism from some people. And there's another huge lesson for us, isn't there? Let's not stop what other people think or the criticism we might receive. Stopping us do what God has called us to. Notice what Jesus did, though. does uh, Jesus healed the man and then he disappeared into the crowd before the man could find out who he was. He didn't even know who had healed him. Does this mean Jesus wasn't bothered about his sort of long-term welfare or his eternal soul? Uh, no, absolutely not. Jesus goes to him later and says, uh, he finds him in the temple. And actually, by the way, this because this man was a cripple, it was very unlikely he could have been in the temple because he wasn't pure. Again, one of those unwritten rules that the Jews created. So this man potentially was going into the temple the first time in 38 years, a forbidden place to him. He's free, he's rejoicing in God's presence again. Jesus said, see you are well again. Stop sinning or something else may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders it was Jesus who had made him well. Jesus had no intention of leaving this man behind or just healing his body. Jesus' main concern, both then and now, is our hearts and the forgiveness of our sins although we might be although we might not be in as much physical need as this man we are very much in spiritual need of healing and jesus jesus is very much concerned for us and we are no less valuable than anyone else jesus died for each and every one of us here today jesus actually works in the lives in our lives because he genuinely loves us he genuinely cares for us this this healing, it's not just uh, you're healed or you're forgiven and right, I'll see you later. Jesus actively works. He actively uh, is 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 at work in our lives and the power that God has is available to us. Jesus is mighty and powerful but also compassionate and he actively seeks us out. And I just want to finish uh, now with, uh, so in, in the month of Christmas, There's no greater blessing than Christmas. As we approach Christmas, you'll hear the name Emmanuel mentioned a lot. It's another name given to Jesus. Emmanuel means God with us. Like Israel throughout the Old Testament, we have a tendency to distance ourselves from God. I guess it's human nature. But God doesn't walk away. Amazingly, he comes even closer to us. At the beginning of John's gospel, it says of Jesus, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. You know, it's so easy to miss the magnitude of what it says here. The Son of God, make of the heavens and the earth, living among normal people like us. In a minute, we're going to, uh, we're going to finish and uh, spend a bit of time just resting in God's presence. But this time of year, we're surrounded by signs and symbols of Christmas when God sent his Son to us. That is what Emmanuel means. You know, we should use this time to seek God's presence, thank Him for what He's done for us, draw near to Him, but also share the gospel with others. Christmas is a reminder of God's compassion and love for us. It's a great time to meet Him. It's a great time to get right with Him. God knows what's in our hearts. God knows our pain that we've been through this year and and before, but He wants to draw alongside us. So I pray that we can seize the opportunity Uh, At this time, we're going to uh, we're going to finish there, but we have got some time uh, now before we have to go down and get the kids, etc. So we very rarely get this this time in our diaries in the week, don't we? So I think it'd be really great.